Chapter Fifteen of Korean Fairy Tales by William Elliot Griffiths. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Great Stone Fire Eater. Ages ago, there lived a great fire spirit inside of a mountain to the southwest of Seoul, the capital of Korea. He was always hungry, and his food was anything that would burn. He devoured trees, forests, dry grass, wood, and whatever he could get hold of. When those were not within his reach, he ate stones and rocks. He enjoyed the flames, but threw the hard stuff out of his mouth in the form of lava. This fire monster spent most of his time in a huge volcano some distance away but in sight of the capital. The city people used to watch the smoke coming out of the crater by day and issuing in red fire between sunset and sunrise until all the heavens seemed in flames. Then, they said, the fire spirit was lighting up his palace. On cloudy nights the inside of the volcano glowed like a furnace. The molten mass inside the crater was reflected on the clouds, so that one could almost see into the monster's belly. But nothing tasted so good to the fire-eater as things which men built, such as houses, stables, fences, and general property. An especial titbit that he longed to swallow was the royal palace. Looking out of its crater one day, he saw the king's palace all silver bright and brand new, rising in the city of Seoul. Thereupon he chuckled and said to himself, for he was very happy, There's a feast for me. I'll just walk out of my mountain home and eat up that dainty morsel. I wonder how the king will like it. But the fire spirit was in no hurry. He felt sure of his meal. He waited until his friend, the south wind, was prepared to join him. Let me know when you are ready, said the fire spirit to the south wind, and we'll have a splendid blaze. We'll go up at night and enjoy a lively dance before they can get a drop of water on us. Don't let the rain clouds know anything about our picnic. The south wind promised easily, for she was always glad to have a frolic. So when the sun went down and it was dark, the fire spirit climbed out of his rocky home in the volcano and strode toward Seoul. The south wind pranced and capered with him until the streets of the capital were so gusty that no one with a wide-brimmed hat dared go outdoors, lest in a lively puff he might lose his headgear. As for the men in mourning, who wear straw hats a yard-stick wide and as big and deep as wash-tubs, they locked themselves up at home and played checkers. By the time all the palace guards were asleep, the fire spirit was ready. He said to the south wind, Blow! Blow your biggest blast, as I begin to touch the roofs of the smaller houses. This will whet my appetite for the palace, 
and then together we'll eat them all up not till they heard a mighty roar and crackling that the people in seoul push back their paper windows to find out what was the matter oh what a blaze it seemed to mount to heaven with red tongues that licked the stars those who could see in the direction of the palace supposed the sun had risen but soon the crash of falling roofs and mighty columns of smoke and flame with clouds of sparks told the terrible story by the time the sun did rise there was nothing but a level waste of ashes where the large buildings had been even the smoke had been driven away by the wind when the king and his people in the palace enclosure who had saved their lives by running fast thought over their loss they began to plan how to stop the fire monster when he should take it into his head to saunter forth on another walk and gobble up the king's dwelling a council of wise men was called to decide upon the question many long heads were bowed in hard thought over the matter all the firemen stone-cutters fortune-tellers dragon-tamers geomancers and people skilled in preventing conflagrations were invited to give their advice about the best way to fight the hungry fire-demon after weeks spent in pondering the problem they all agreed that a dragon from china should be brought over to korea if kept in a swamp and fed well he would surely prevent the fire imp from rambling too near seoul besides the dragon knew how to amuse and persuade the south wind not to join in the mischief so at tremendous cost and trouble one of china's biggest dragons capable of making rain and of spouting tons of water on its enemies was shipped over and kept in a swamp it was honoured with a royal decoration allowed to wear a string of amber beads over its ear given a horsehair hat a nobleman's girdle and fed all the turnips it desired to eat in every way it was treated as the king's favourite but it was all in vain money and favour were alike wasted the petted dragon made it rain too often so that the land was soaked then when told not to do this it grew sulky and neglected its duty finally it became fat and lazy and one night fell asleep when it ought to have been on guard for the winds were out on a dance seeing his jailer thus caught napping the fire imp leapt out of his volcano prison rode quickly on the south wind to seoul and in a few hours had again swallowed the royal palace there was nothing seen next day except ashes which the fire monster cared no more for than we for nutshells when the kernels are eaten up with big tears in their eyes the king and his wise men met together again to decide on a new scheme to keep off the fire imp they were ready to drown him or to see him get eaten up because he had twice swallowed up the palace they sent the Chinese dragon home, and this time, besides the fortune-tellers and the stone-cutters, the well-diggers were invited also. 
For many days the wise men studied maps, talked of geography, looked at the mountains, valleys, and the volcano, and studied air currents. Finally, one man, famous for his deep learning about wood and water, forests and rivers, spoke thus. It is evident that the fire has always come from the southwest and up this valley, pointing to a map. True, true, shouted all the wise men. Well, right in his path, let us dig a big pond, a regular artificial lake, and very deep, into which the fire monster will tumble. This will put him out, and he can get no further. Agreed, agreed, shouted the wise men in chorus. Why did we not think of this before? All the skilful diggers of wells and ditches were summoned to the capital. With shovel and spade they worked for weeks. Then they let in water from the river until the pond was full. So everybody in Seoul went to bed thinking that the king's palace was now safe surely. But the fire imp, seeing the dragon gone and his opportunity come, climbed out of his volcano and moved out for another meal. This time the south wind was busy elsewhere and could not go with him. So he went alone, but coming to the pond, tumbled and wet himself so badly that he was chilled and nearly put out when he got to the palace, which was only half burned. So he went home growling and hungry. Again the wise men were called, and the first thing they did was to thank the boss well-digger who had made the pond. The king summoned him into his presence to confer rank upon him and his children. He was presented with four rolls of silk, forty pounds of white ginseng, a tiger-skin robe, sixty dried chestnuts, and forty-four strings of copper cash. Loaded with such Korean wealth and honours, the man fell on his hands and knees and thanked his majesty profusely. Then they called the master stonecutter or chief of the guild, and asked him if he could chisel out the figure of a beast that could eat flames and be ugly enough to scare away the fire imp. The master had long hoped that he would be invited to rear this bit of sculpture, but hitherto the king and court had feared it might cost too much. So the order was given, and out of the heart of the mountains a mighty block of white granite was loosed and brought to Seoul on rollers pushed, pulled and hoisted by thousands of labourers. Then. Hidden behind canvas to keep the matter secret, lest the fire imp should find it out, the workmen toiled. Hammers and chisels clinked, until on a certain day the great stone flame-eater was ready to take his permanent seat in front of the palace gate as guardian of the royal buildings and treasures. The fire imp laughed when the south wind told him of what the Koreans in the capital were doing, even though she warned him of the danger of his being eaten up. I shall walk out and see for myself anyhow, said the fire imp. One night 
he crept out quietly and moved towards the city he was nearly drowned in the pond but plucking up courage he went on until he was near the king's dwelling hearing the fire imp coming the great flame-eater turned his head and licked his chops in anticipation of swallowing the fire imp whole as a toad does a fly but one sight of the hideous stony monster was enough for the fire imp there before him on the high pedestal was something never before seen in heaven or on earth it had enormous fireproof scales like a salamander with curly hair like asbestos and its mouth was full of big fangs it was altogether hideous enough to give even a volcano spirit a chill just think of those jaws snapping on me said the fire imp to himself as he looked at them and the fangs i do believe that creature is half alligator and half water tortoise i had better go home no dinner this time so by his freezing glance alone the great flame-eater frightened away the fire imp so that he never came again and the royal palace was not once burned Today the ugly brute still keeps watch. You have only to look at him to enjoy this story. End of the Great Stone Fire Eater